Thanks so much for joining us today on Leesburg Community Church's podcast. If you'd like more information about our church, including directions and service times, please visit leesburgcc.org. On our website, you can also find notes and daily devotionals based on this teaching. Thanks again for joining us, and we hope you liked today's message. All right. Hey, uh, have you noticed, uh, I hope you've noticed, because we're all in the midst of them, but notice how important our relationships are, right? (laughs) I mean, again, we're all in the midst of them, whether they're difficult relationships or exciting relationships or relationships that uh, are just getting started, relationships that are long in nature, right? Talk to somebody who's been married for over 60 years. That's a long relationship. (laughs) That's an exciting one. But how important they are to our lives. I mean, we just can't, we can't do without them. But there's a faithfulness that goes along with those relationships, the ones that last, the ones that make the biggest impact in our lives. There's a faithfulness that goes along to it that just can't be described and explained. It's when your relationship moves to that next level. It's when it goes beyond acquaintance. It goes beyond even uh, sharing something in common. It goes beyond just seeing somebody in a, a place more than, you know, kind of often. It moves into this other level this relational level where there's faithfulness involved, there's intimacy involved, there's care involved, there's, there's, there's a fight involved, a fight for one another, right? This, these relationships move, and that's not just within our marriage, that's within all sorts of different contexts of relationships. And those relationships become the most meaningful in our lives. Those relationships are the ones we remember the most. Maybe there's now a distance because of time or, or I mean, a, you know, location or whatever that is, but they meant the most to us, and they had the greatest impact. A friend of mine, he uh, was transferred to his last station uh, before he was going to leave the Air Force, and um, it was pretty exciting for him. He uh, grew up in Colorado Springs, went to the Air Force Academy, and his last assignment was going to be back at the Air Force Academy teaching before he uh, got out. So he got back there, and he was really excited, except for, you know, we all have those memories of life, you know, with our high school friends. When he went back, and he's like, oh, everybody's gone. It's not the way it was 20 years ago, and what's going on? And so he, uh, he went back, and he quickly had to start making some new relationships. He got involved in a church, and as he got involved in this church, he met a, a, a guy in the church. And he said, hey, I need somebody that wants to just read the Word and get together and talk about family and talk about life and talk about one another, and that we can really just kind of pour into one another's one of lives. And the two of these guys started to develop this relationship that really just spawned out of just this need to just be involved, have somebody involved in his life and him to be involved in somebody else's life. They began to meet once a week. And literally, for three years, they met once a week for a couple hours before they would go to work. And that would turn into conversations throughout the week. That would turn into texting throughout the week. That would turn into reading God's word and sharing one another what, what they were learning. That would lead going through some difficult times, some deaths and some tragedies in one another's lives. That would mean so much. And so that when I saw my friend, I saw him about a year before he was going to uh, leave the Air Force. And, and he had already been there for three years. And I said, hey, man, what, how are you doing? How's your heart? And he goes, man, Tim, I've never been so fulfilled. I've never been so filled up. I got a guy in my corner that fights for me. I got a guy in my corner that knows me frontwards and backwards. I got a guy that's just spending life and our families now get together and our wives now get together. And he goes, it's just awesome. My walk has never been stronger. And it's because of the faithfulness of this guy in my life. I was like, wow, that is a great story, a relationship that moved towards faithfulness. 
had another friend, and he was a dentist, and he was going to train each and every one of his dental assistants. He didn't send them to a school or a certification program. He trained every dental assistant he had. He wanted to train them exactly the way he wanted them. He wanted them to be able to respond and act in his practice the way that it was going to be best for his practice. And in the process, he had these two twins that applied for a job, and he took them in. And they had, uh, they had barely uh, had their high school diploma, and he brought them in, and they were going to go to college. And he said, I'll help you go to college. And, and on and on their story went. He got to know their family, and then he kept pouring into their lives. Then his wife started to pour into these the, the twin girls' lives. And as they grew, they got closer and closer with their family, and their faithfulness grew until Tim, his name is Tim, he's a dentist, and he... He literally hand-walked these girls to the next chapter of their life. And today, they're working in the California parole system, working with women who have just gotten out of prison and helping them to have a fresh start, helping them to know what the next step in life is because they had somebody that was so faithful to them that showed them what the next step and the next path to life was. They said, we want to spend our life helping other people who didn't have somebody to help them. See, relationships can absolutely change us. They can redefine our lives. They can do so much, but there's a faithfulness that has to be involved. These two young girls, they weren't always the easiest to work with for Tim. They weren't always the, the most flexible to work with Tim. And he took them in young, which meant that they would make some mistakes. And make some mistakes in a dental practice could be pretty costly. And so, but he stayed faithful. He stayed faithful and faithful and faithful. And he even saw them give their lives to Christ because of his faithfulness. So as we head into chapter 2 in our journey through Mark, as Mark is unpacking for us what, who the servant king is, Jesus Christ, he's helping the Romans of that time understand who this king is, this Messiah that came as the king of all people, not just of the Jews, but of all people. But he didn't come to lord over anybody. He came to serve and give his life as a sacrifice and an offering and a ransom. As we move into the second chapter, we finish up chapter 1. And in chapter 1, we see his divine authority. We see Mark absolutely unpack that. When you see his authoritative teaching, it shocked and admonished all those who were listening. And it even brought forth new teaching that even the demons would shriek at, the fear, at fear at the authority of his teaching. His authority over people as the disciples immediately left their life, changed course and position, and began to follow him. We see his authority in the healings that he said someone was healed, and they were healed completely in that moment and holy. We saw that he had both authority over disease and demons, and the demons would run at the very sound of his voice. In this passage, we're going to see one of the most authoritative and meaningful uh, positions, if you will, of Jesus, that he had the authority to forgive sin. It was the ultimate reason why he came, and it was why we needed him. Above all the other things he had authority over, he had authority to forgive sin. Uh, Mark emphasizes this over and over and over again, but in chapter 2, he just unpacks this in a really powerful way, and he starts with verses 1 through 12. I hope you had a chance. I hope you've taken the Mark challenge and you are taking the Mark challenge. I hope you've had a chance to read through the book of Mark and I hope you're reading at least a half a chapter a, a day. Now, you, you know, come to church and be a part of church even if you don't. That's great. But I hope you're taking advantage of the ability to do that. hope you're taking advantage of the, some of those questions we're putting in each week that they're in your bulletin right now and they're up online that you can kind of dig a little deeper, do some more talking. Maybe you'll be able to talk about those with your life group. 
And then finally, that you're preparing for the next week, just by asking some great questions of the passage as you walk in here. So let's read it together in chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. A few days later, let me pause there for a second. I only got three words in there, and we've got to pause. A few days later, we tend to think that's literally, right, because he had left and left Capernaum after the thing with his uh, mother-in-law, and everybody showed up at the house, and he was healing, and then he went up on the mountain by himself. Remember, we talked about it last week, and then he came back, and he said, hey, we're supposed to go. Let's go into Galilee, and we're going to preach throughout the synagogues. And so we tend to see this in our language as a few days later. There's actually no definitive time to this. A few days later could have meant literally a few days. It could have meant a few weeks. It could have meant a few months. We don't exactly know what that time frame is. So that just gives just a little bit more perspective to what it is. A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, remember we're saying that's his home base when he's in that area. The people heard that he had come home. Home was probably back at uh, Matthew's mother-in-law's house. Probably not his own house since we were told he didn't even have a place to lay his head. right? And so probably his mother-in-law's house And uh, after he had come home. They had gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door. And he preached the word to them. Some men came, bringing to him a paralyzed man carried by four of them. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above, above Jesus by digging through it and lowered the, mat, lowered the mat that the man was lying on. When Jesus saw their faith, he had said to the paralyzed man, son, your sins are forgiven. And now some teachers of the law sitting there thinking to themselves, why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit that this was what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, why are you thinking these things? Which is easier to say to the paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and take your mat and walk. But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. He got up, took his mat, and walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, we have never seen anything like this. Father, give us an understanding of this passage. Help it to sink down deep into us. Help us to apply it immediately to our lives that we would be able to live in great relationship with others, with the priority that you have for us, Father. In your name we pray. Amen. It's really interesting when you get down to that passage, and it says that he got up in, in verse 12, in the NLT, I love it, in the New Living Translation, it says, he jumped up. I think I'd have jumped up too, right? If all of a sudden I was healed, I'd been paralyzed my whole life, I'd been sitting on a mat, four dudes had to lower me down in front of Jesus, and all of a sudden Jesus spoke and healed me, boosh, I'm jumping, and I'm running out of there as fast as I can, and uh, I'm pretty excited about it. So let's take a look at this real quick, and we're just going to dive through several different relationships. I think we're going to see the power of relationship here in this passage. For sure, we're going to see the power of Christ to forgive sins, and that's the key part of the passage. But what can we take away from this? How do we walk away from this? Most of us in this room have had Christ forgive us for our sins. If that's not you, then that's your takeaway today. If that's not you, then that's your takeaway, that Jesus Christ is the one who can forgive sins. Jesus Christ is the one who can make us right put us in a right relationship with God. Jesus Christ is the one that can bring unity between us and the Father for the sins, for the, when we walk in our own way, when we ignore him, when we say my way is better than your way, when we have turned our back on him, Jesus Christ is the one that can forgive that and bring us back into relationship. If you have never received that forgiveness today, I pray that you will. And it's as simple as saying, Jesus, yes, I believe 
And I want that forgiveness in my life. And I want to follow you all the days of my life. Remember, that's what Mark is demonstrating here, right? That there is a, right? That there, that there is a belief, right? And then there is a repentance, turn from the life I had. There's a surrender. Yes, Lord, I want the life you have for me. And then there's a following. Jesus did everything it took to bring us to that place that we would be able to live for him and that he would transform our lives. He is the authority that can forgive sins. So that's your big takeaway today if you've never had your sins forgiven. I hope you'll continue to see that throughout the passage. For those of us who have had our sins forgiven, then I want to say this. I think our great takeaway is relationships, faithfulness in relationships, that we see faithfulness on display all over this passage, and we see relationship all over this passage. Listen, let's just look at that phrase real quick, faithful in relationship. A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home, and they gathered in such large numbers that there was no room, not even outside the door. And he preached the word to them. Some men came, bringing him a paralyzed man, carried by four of them. You see, God has entrusted relationships to each one of us. For some of us, we are the stronger one in the relationship. We're the more mature one in the relationship. We're the more aggressive one in the relationship. We're kind of the glue that holds it together. For other relationships we have, we're the, we're the one that needs to be held together a little bit more. We're the one that is receiving the benefit of the, more, the mature relationship. We're the one that needs to be helped along a little bit more. We, we, we have there's teachers and students type relationships. There's mentors and mentoree relationships. There's intimate relationships. There's, we have been put and have the blessing of having relationships all in and around our lives. Some relationships are taxing, and some relationships are very easy. But in every relationship, Christ calls us to one call, to love, to serve, and to lay down our lives for them. To love, to serve, and to lay down our lives. Jesus said there's no greater love than the love that lays its life down for its friend. Right? No greater love and love lays its life down for its friend. We are to lay our lives down. We are to be so intentional and faithful in our relationships that we would give up anything to help them prosper, to help that relationship grow, to help do that which is best for the person we're in a relationship with, to help give them that which is best, not to give them everything they want, not simply to give in to every whim or desire, but to lead them in a manner, to be with them in a manner, to love them in a manner that is absolutely best. We are called to be faithful in those relationships. See, our willingness to abandon ourselves should mark our faithfulness in that relationship as it marked, Christ, as it marked Christ's attitude towards us. This group of friends, they had someone in need. They had someone in need. And they knew the right place to take that someone in need was to Jesus. How long had he been sitting on that mat? How many other ways had their family tried to seek healing? How many other ways had these friends tried to walk alongside of this, uh, of this paraplegic? How, 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 how many ways? And then all of a sudden, today was different. Today was different. They wouldn't just sit at the side of the road with their friend. They wouldn't just sit in his home they wouldn't just uh, bring him things today. They wouldn't just walk alongside of him in some kind of typical way. Today was going to be different. The, the man who had healed came back to town. The man that, remember, the town went and stood outside of the door and brought people to be healed sometime before that. Remember the, how, how Peter's 
uh, mother-in-law was inconvenienced and we said to follow Christ will inconvenience us. And remember the whole town showed up and you're like, woo, talk about unexpected and guests, right? And then, so they said, hey, he came back to town. He's back here. We got to get him. We got to get our buddy here. We got to get our friend. We got to get the one we're in relationship. We have to get him to the feet of Jesus. That's the only chance we got. <laughs> and they went. Now, what we're not told in Mark, because remember Mark is speed, and he just writes it, and it gets quick, and it gets to the point, and he gets through it, and he gets over it, and he moves on to the next one, right? That's, what, that's one of the things that is unique about Mark is how fast it moves. Well, when you look at the other two synoptic gospels, you look at Matthew and Luke, they both record the exact same healing, but they add more commentary to it. They add more understanding to it. It literally says in Luke 5 that when they went to the house, they tried to get in, but because of the crowd, they couldn't find their way. Now that's assumed, but when all of a sudden you know, can you see them? They got their friend on the mat. They're running in there and they're like, hey, come on, come on, I got to get, no, you don't understand, I got to get, no, they're trying, can you see it? Can, can you just picture yourself with the one that you love so much, the friend that you're so faithful to, the one that you just desperately want to bring before Jesus? And it seems like there's roadblock upon roadblock, and it seems like there's crowd upon crowd. There's reasons why it doesn't work. But instead of these people turning around, instead of these, these men turning around and going, ah, just, well, it's not going to work today. It said that they went to the roof. They went to the roof. Now, that's an amazing thing, but they stopped and they went to the roof. I'm going to get to that in a second. But they were not going to let anything stop them. They were so faithful with their friend that they knew that the healing man came to town. And that was the result that they had to get. They had to bring him before Jesus. God had given them this relationship. They knew his needs. Uh, they knew they had lived with his needs. They knew that this moment could change everything in their lives, in his life, and they were faithful. I'm going to ask you a question throughout this whole sermon. And this is where you get to interact. And I hope you'll interact on your paper. hope you'll interact in your heart. hope you'll just tune me out at some moment and begin to pray. Who's on your rope? These men were faithful to put some rope around this guy's mat, and figure out a way to get him before Jesus. But they knew that was his hope. So the question I have for you today throughout this whole thing is who's on your rope? We see a faithfulness of friends and you've been given faithful, you've been given relationships for you to be faithful with. Who's on your rope? Who do you have to get before Jesus? Who do you know needs Christ? Either his healing power the healing power of him to forgive sins, a relationship. Who in your life needs Jesus that you are going to be relentlessly faithful? Who has God connected you with that needs you to love them as God has loved you? Who needs you to share the loving words from our Father? Who needs the freedom that comes from Christ? Think about your relationships right now. Who is it? Who needs to be healed from addictions, from pornography, from gossip, from gluttony, from pride, from abuse, from themselves, and from their sinful desires? Who is it? Who's on your rope? God gave you that relationship. Who do you need to be faithful with? Who needs to be reminded of the greatness of our God? 
Who in your life needs to be reminded that God is in control and will never let go? Talk to an amazing, faithful woman who, um, in her home state, there was, a, there was a tragedy that took place with a child. And for the week before that, her and her family had been praying earnestly and faithfully for this child that uh, she'd be found and different, you know, she'd be okay. And she wasn't. So she was found, but she had lost her life. And she said, I'm nervous. I'm nervous that so many people were praying. And because God didn't answer their prayer to save this young girl, that they might not believe in God. And oh man, I, 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 got, I got so excited. And here's why I got excited. Because she cared so much about the people around her. She cared so much about people she didn't even know. She cared so much that, that the people in her life would know the truth of who God is and know who he is and know that he doesn't always answer things the way we would choose for him to answer and know that he always doesn't work the way we would choose for him to work and to know that he never once promised that we wouldn't have pain in this life. He never once promised that evil wouldn't rear its head. He never once, he didn't even keep his own son from evil coming against him. And so... She just wanted opportunity. She goes, I, I hope I get to talk to some people to tell them about who God is. And I'm like, yes, that's what we got to do. That's how we have to respond in moments like this. We got to care so much about the people around us that we will tell them, we will speak, we will share with them. They will be on our rope and we will put them before the truth of who Jesus is. We will declare the truth of who he is and his character and his goodness. And we won't stop until they understand and they know who is on your rope. Who in your life is out of hope, out of chances, out of choices that God has placed in your life? The relationship has not been easy. It's been difficult, but he's asked you to have them on your rope. Not pausing for dramatic effect, I promise. I'm just going to pause today. You notice I'm kind of taking a different cadence as I walk through the message. I'm just going to pause a little bit because we've got to stop and be okay with the silence for a little bit and ask that question. The Lord's given me relationship. Who has he asked me to be incredibly faithful to? Because they are at their last chance. They're without hope. They don't know where to turn. And I need to get them before Jesus. The next thing I see as we look at these lessons of relationships and faithfulness is we see a faithful determination. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it. And then they lowered the mat the man was lying on when Jesus saw their faith. We're going to read that that part of that passage again. When he saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, Son, your sins are forgiven. Notice, he said when Jesus saw their faith. You see, we need to be faithfully determined. Faithfulness would tend to, tend to allude to that, right? The very definition of the word faithfulness, that we're, we're going to you know, stick through it. We're going to be there. We're going to, we're going to be by their side, that, right? But it needs to be determined. It's more than just saying, I'm going to be there. It's more than say, hey, if you ever need something, you do that? I do that all the time, and I really wish people would take me up on it, but people rarely do, so I guess sometimes I'll probably say it knowing that <laughs> it's not going to cost me much to say it. I say, hey, if you, if you need anything, let me know. Man, you're going through a really tough time. If, if there's something I can do, let me know. And so few people ever do it that I think sometimes we just say it, don't we? Like, uh, <laughs> If you need something, let me know. And I'm pretty sure I get to walk away from that and I won't be asked or inconvenienced. But the reality is, is that my faithfulness in people's lives needs to be so determined that I'm going to have my eyes wide open. I'm going to have my ears wide open. I'm going to figure out what they need and 
how I can walk alongside of them and how I can be faithful and I'm going to figure out what they need and, and how it is that I can bring them before Jesus. I'm going to be determined. And when I figure out that relationship that I have, that absolutely, maybe it's multiple relationships, that the only place, the only good thing I can give this person or these people in my life is Jesus, that I'm going to be determined at all costs to get them before Christ, no matter what that looks like, no matter what it's going to take, no matter how inconvenienced I'm going to be, no matter the cost, financial, relational, no matter what kind of opportunities I lose, no matter what, I'm going to be faithfully determined. Because once God shows me the path I'm supposed to go on, once the Lord shows me, this is who's on your rope. Tim, this is why I gave you that relationship. Then my next response is, Father, I will be faithfully determined to do what you are going to require me to do. I will let nothing stop me from helping this person to see who you are and to experience your love and grace and mercy. I can't determine what they will do with that. I can't have anything to do with that. But what I can do is be faithfully determined to put this person right in front of you as often as I possibly can. That's that's a relationship that changes people's lives. That's a relationship that we're changed by. That's a relationship that matches the love that Christ has for us, that he was determined to come here and to be with us. He sat in the garden and said, Father, is there another way? The Father said, no. And so he went forward, determined to be the Savior that he came to be. And we need to be just as faithful when the Lord shows us who's on our rope, and we need to be determined that no matter what it takes. So here the men are. They show up there. And uh, they, they made a, an unsuccessful effort to get through the door, refusing to give up. They devised an aggressive and extreme plan for reaching Jesus. Luke explained it like this. Not finding any way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof. Now, let me give you a little background on that roof part, okay? Jewish houses were typically one story with a flat patio roof. They would often use it as a gathering place in their family. They'd go up on the roof and sit there. Uh, accessible by an external staircase. A typical roof was constructed using large wooden beams and smaller pieces of wood in between, covered, it, it, pieces of wood in between and covered by thatch consisting of grain, twigs, straw, and mud. Tiles would then be installed on top of the thatch. The four men carried their friend around the crowd up the stairs to the roof. The strategy was effective, though it must have been incredibly disruptive. Jesus was no doubt teaching in the large central room of the house with people pressed around him when debris suddenly started falling from the ceiling onto the heads below. One can easily imagine the shock and dismay uh, as the opening grew bigger and bigger, and finally they were able to lower the stretcher before Jesus. That was from uh, um, a John MacArthur commentary as he explained what was going on and what that would have looked like in that culture. So they would have went to the roof and they would have been able to literally pull out piece by piece the rooftop, right? Because it would have been like a floor and you got thatch and grain and things. They'd just been able to pull it out and they pulled out a big enough piece. They were able to lower it down. Luke tells us they lowered them right in front of the feet of Jesus. That's some great calculation. Talk about being determined. I'd have been somewhere over on the left or the right going, hey, can you move over a little bit, Jesus? Sorry. I wouldn't have got it straight. I'm trying to build a dog house for my dog right now. Whew, I don't know anything about plum. Um, so, and uh, it's a bad deal. So, uh, but anyways, I digress for sure. But uh, they got them. They were determined. They were right there. You got to admire several different characteristics of these men. They had the faith to believe that Jesus could and would meet their friend's needs. They did not simply pray about it, but they put some feet to their prayers. They did not permit the difficult circumstances to discourage them. They worked together and dared to do something different. 
and Jesus rewarded their efforts. How easy it would have been for them to say, hey, it's crowded. We're not going to be able to make it today. I'm sure he'll come back around. It won't be the last time he's here. Oh, but they didn't. They were determined. So I go back to that question. Who's on your rope? Who's on your rope? What relationship has the Lord asked you to be faithful with? And in that faithfulness, to be determined. I'll guarantee there's been some obstacles, hasn't there, in that relationship. I'll guarantee there's been some difficulties in bringing that person or persons before Jesus. I'll guarantee there's been some crowds or some roadblocks or some closed doors. Are you determined? Prayer is good. Don't ever hear us say anything different. It starts with prayer. It ends with prayer. Prayer's in the middle. Prayer is constant. But it's not enough to just pray. What if they would have just prayed? What if they would have just said, look, Jesus is over there. Maybe was, we'll just pray. We'll pray that he knows you're here. I mean, he's, he's God, right? Okay, so we'll pray that he knows you're over here. And we'll pray that his thing will wind up interacting with your thing and, and you'll, you'll get the healing you need. They were determined. They made it happen. They got there and there was roadblocks and they, they went up on the roof and they dug open the roof and they lowered them down. And think about it for a minute. They risked, think about the risk. I mean, this is the teacher. This is the one who's healing people. This is, if he really was God, you just interrupted God. I thought mom and dad got upset once in a while. Like, you lower, you disrupted the whole deal. Things fall on top of his head. They risked so much, and so many times we sit back in the midst of our relationship, and not only do we find ourselves maybe not being as faithful as we should, maybe not being as other-centered as we should, maybe not being as, as loving and sacrificial as we should, but then we get to this place where as soon as it gets harder, it gets difficult, and, and we're trying to bring them before Jesus, and we're like, ah, they don't really want to go, so ah, that's it. That's it. I tried a couple times. I'll pray. Pray first, pray middle, pray in, never stop praying. But the Lord gave you that relationship to be determined with that relationship too. No matter what you might risk, no matter what you might lose. Had a friend of mine, his name was Kim. It was, it was a man and his name was Kim. It was different. It's the first, one I, first person I met like that. But uh, his name was Kim and we got to know each other really well. And he married into a family that was uh, uh, the owners of one of the uh, top five wine producers in the world. And so um, literally his house was on the, the, the winery property. He was heavily involved in the uh, family business. And um, some of his uh, brother-in-laws were the, the heads of this, uh, of this winery. And uh, he would meet with them regularly and talk to them regularly. And so here's what happened on this one occasion. He said, you've been on my rope for so long. I added that language. Obviously, he didn't say you've been on my rope. We've been in relationships for so long. I've been loving you for so long. I care about you so much. And he literally barged into their office. This giant corporate office. He barged in. Uh, so, hey, what's going on, Kim? Because it wasn't unusual for him to barge in. He goes, listen, loved you for so long, and I'm going to keep loving you. But you got to know, you've turned your back on God your whole life. And I'm just not going to let you do it anymore. He goes, here's what I'm going to do with you. I'm going to email you a passage once or twice a week from Scripture, actually God's Word. And I'm going to put a few thoughts in there. I need you to read it, and I need you to send me some thoughts back. And I don't care if you don't want to. You're at least going to know who God is if you're going to reject him. Because I love you so much. 
And I know the reality of what's going to happen in your life if you continue to deny him. And they looked at him like he was whacked with four heads coming out of himself. What you talk? What? He said, okay, the first one's in your box right now. Take a look at it. And he walked out. He had no idea what was going to happen. He got home and guess what he did? Prayed. You see, pray. You got to pray. He got home. He prayed. And he's like, oh, Lord, do something crazy with this. Don't let that have just jacked everything up. I just know I got I to gotta be more intentional. I've got to be more aggressive. I got to let them know who you are. And it can't be just sort of any longer. They started reading his verses, his passages. They started interacting with him. They even came a couple times to a Bible study they had at his house. And he kept pouring into them and kept loving them and kept loving them. Now a little twist to the story. It was about three years later that Kim had a massive heart attack and died. Just literally. Stood up, had a heart attack, died. Sometimes we tell the story, right, that the person who heard about Jesus is the one who, you know, well, good thing they heard. No, Kim was obedient. He knew that God had given this relationship for a reason. He knew that he had to be faithful, and where these people needed to go was at the foot of Jesus, and that's what he was being called to. And he absolutely knew without a shadow of a doubt that he had to be determined. It was time to be aggressive. The Lord had showed him, and he knew he couldn't relent, and he knew he had to go. He had no way to know in just three short years his life would be over. He was only in his mid-50s. You see, faithfulness is determined. Faithfulness in the ones that God has given us a relationship with, you got to have a great determination. Who's on your rope? Who's on your rope? Let's move on to the next one. Here we go. You ready? I need to do a little, little, little teaching on this real quick. I'm going to do some reading and teaching at the same time for you, with you. We're going to be introduced to the Pharisees and the, uh, another group called the Sadducees and the scribes. And here they're called the teachers of the law. And Mark is going to go back in and out of these groups of people. And so let's just unpack it right now as we spend a lot of time in Mark. And let's just unpack who they are. Luke 5.17 tells us this, because it doesn't describe it quite like this in Mark. It tells us the crowd included a number of Pharisees who were the primary guardians and advocates of the logistical, of the, sorry, the legalistic traditions and rituals of the first century Judaism, right? So the legalistic rituals and the legalistic man-made laws of the first century, Okay. The Pharisees were the ones who guarded that. They were about 6,000 strong in that area and in that, in that place. The name Pharisee means separated one. And it really defined their philosophy for they avoided any interaction with the Gentiles, tax collectors, or people who they regarded as sinners, including the common Jew. They considered themselves to be the most holy of all Israelites. But their holiness, and Jesus really describes that and teaches that in, in Matthew, their holiness was based upon outward exterior things, right? About taking care of the detail of the law, saying, look at me, look how well I take care of the detail of the law. The problem was, and it wasn't the detail of Mo law of Moses, it was the detail of man's law to help you do Mosaic law. And so all you have is this great yoke. We're going to hear that word later on in Matthew, this great yoke and this great burden of a man-made law that was put on people's back when it was never meant to be there. 
And so they considered themselves the holy people of Israel, the great, if you will, holy police of Israel. And it says their entire external, it was external and superficial. It mainly consisted of adherence to their own man-made rules and regulations, stipulations that they had added to the law of Moses. Within the Pharisees, there were scribes, also referred to as lawyers, who were professional theologians and Old Testament scholars. We, we see them really show up on the scene in Ezra and Nehemiah. And uh, since there were no other prophets, right, after, uh, after Malachi, they began to be the teachers of the law and in, and in charge of teaching the law as well and teaching scripture as well. The scribes and the Pharisees were intermingled with the crowd, were not there to support Jesus' ministry or to learn from him. They were there because they saw Jesus as a growing threat. They were there to hear what Jesus had to say for the sole purpose of finding fault with him. So within the Pharisees, you had scribes that were considered teachers of the law, right? They were actually considered lawyers also for the, the Pharisees, that they would go ahead and debate and argue the law that was supposed to be protected and lived out. So that's kind of who they were. Now let's pick it up. In Mark 2, 5 through 9, when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, son, your sins are forgiven. Now some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately Jesus knew in his spirit that this was what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, why are you thinking these things? Which is easier to say to the paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat, and walk. We see the priority of our faithful God absolutely on display here. We see his priority. Remember, his priority wasn't to heal the man. That was probably their, the, the priority of the, uh, of the friends. They had this paralyzed friend, and, and they said, let's get him healed. Let's get him before Jesus. That was not the priority of Christ. He shows up. He gets dropped right before him, and he says, because of your faith, remember their faith, the faith of the friends, the faith of the man on the mat, he says, your sins are forgiven. He knew their greatest condition of that man's life that needed healing was his sin, his heart, his soul that was absolutely at war, his flesh that was at war with God. He knew that what mattered most was that that soul would be saved and his sins would be forgiven. And because he had a faith that said, yes, I believe you'll do this. We don't know if he went there originally to have his sins forgiven. We just know that he had the faith to believe that his sins could be forgiven. Now, Something like that, well, you weren't treated like you were a leper because it wasn't, you, wasn't contagious. And yet very much in that culture, in that society, if you were paralyzed from birth like that, if you were born that way, or if it had happened to you later on, then it was said to be attributed to your sin or the sins of your father and mother or their father and mother. It was said that your difficulty, your infirmary was a product of sin. Now, here's what we absolutely know. We absolutely know that all of our infirmaries, all of our, of our problems, all of our sicknesses, all of our disease is what? A product of sin. In the garden, sickness and disease was not there. Sickness and disease came about after sin entered the world. And so we know that it's all a result of sin. So that we know that the great pain or the great illness or the great disease of all people is not whatever we see on our skin or whatever our limbs can do or can't do. It is the heart and the soul. 
And so they went for him, and Jesus said, let me heal that which is most important. Whether I heal the body or I don't heal the body, I'm going to heal that which is most important. He is always faithful for the one who has faith. That is the healing that Christ will do every time without fail. That is the one that is available and it is never denied. It is never said there's a different way. It is never said there's a different plan. It's never said I will use this for something else. The one who goes in faith before Jesus Christ and says, yes, I want your forgiveness. Yes, I want to be your son or daughter. Yes, I want to be with you is forgiven and their soul is restored and grace and mercy are lavished upon them. Who's on your road? And is your priority the same as God's? Is your priority the same as Jesus? You kind of see that each one of these gets back to almost the same exact point, right? It's almost the same point each time. The most important thing people need in their life is Jesus because their soul is dying. And he's the one that can actually cure it. He's the one that can save them. He's the hope of the world. Who's on your rope that needs to know Jesus? And is your number one priority in their life that they would be saved from their sin? Is number one priority in your life because you're in relationship with them? That they would experience the forgiveness of God? Is that the number one priority that you have? Because it's the number one priority of Christ. Because it's the, it was the number one priority of the, the man who went to get healed. Because it was the priority of his friends that were putting him on and lowering him down. Because they had faith. If they didn't have faith that Jesus could heal sins, he couldn't do it. He wouldn't do it. So they had faith that that would take place. Who's on your rope? Who needs to know Jesus? Who needs for the great priority of your life to be that they would receive the forgiveness of God? Did you hear that for a minute? Who's on your rope that the great priority of your life would be that they would receive the grace and forgiveness of God? Why do I put it that way? Because it is the great priority of Jesus. And if it's his great priority, it has to be our great priority. Who's on your rope? Who's he asked you to be faithful in relationship with? Who's he asked you to be determined with? And who has he said, this is your great priority? Oh, they might receive healing for their sickness or for their, uh, for their obsessions or for their, or for their addictions or for whatever else. But that the great priority is that they would receive the forgiveness of their soul and they would be saved. And finally, the power and the glory of our faithful God was on display, which is easy to say to this paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat, and walk. But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. He got up, took his mat, walked out in full view, this amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, we have never seen anything like this before. When we take that mat and put it on our ropes, and we take people to the foot of Jesus, they see and experience the power of God, and so does everybody else. And they can't help but be amazed at what God does in people's lives. So now my next question. Are you telling the story of what God did in your life? Are you sharing what happened to you when somebody lowered you before the, before the master? Are you sharing what happened in your life when, when you were saved? Are you sharing about the power of God's work in your life day in and day out? 
Are you sharing that? Are you sharing that he is truly the living God, right? Because isn't that what he did? First he healed, then he looked at the ones who tried to accuse him of blasphemy. You know what blasphemy is, correct? It is, it's when you claim to be God. Now there's other types of blasphemy, but this particular blasphemy, this was the worst type of blasphemy. And it's where you say, I am God. Because why? Why did they accuse him of blasphemy? Because it is only God that can forgive sins. If you have an offense against me, I can forgive you. If you have an offense against God, I can do nothing about that. Only God can forgive an offense against him. So when Jesus sat there and said to the man, your sins are forgiven, whoa, he's claiming to be God. He's like, because I am. Because I am God. And then he says, look, which is easier to say your sins are forgiven or to heal somebody? He goes, just to prove to you that I am the Lord of all things. I'm the Lord that can forgive sins. I'm going to go ahead and heal this man's body. Which is what? The product of sin. We just said sin came into the earth, because, or disease came into the earth because of sin, right? So let me go ahead and heal the body so that you know I have authority over the forgiveness of sins. Tell the story. Everyone was amazed when they saw what happened. Who's on your rope? Who are you being faithful with? Who are you being determined with? Whose number one priority in your life is it that they know Christ? And who are you telling the story? Are you telling them the story of the power of God? Are you telling others the story of the power of God? God's glory will absolutely be on display far more when he changes the heart from the inside out than he does when he answers one of our our prayer requests, if you will. Lord, take this away from me. Lord, give me this. Lord, make this happen. Yeah, we see it, but then what do we do real quickly? We say, oh, well, it's a good thing the stock market changed because now I'm not as broke as I was. And I mean, yeah, God did that. He helped, sure. No, when a man's heart is changed that nobody can do except for Jesus Christ himself, when somebody's heart is changed, that is the power and the glory of God on display. And that is when the whole world lights up. Who's on your rope? Who's on your rope that needs to know and experience that power and glory? Who needs their lives absolutely changed? The Lord's waiting to express that glory, to express that power, to overwhelm people's lives. Who do you need to tell about your faith? Who do you need to explain about your faith? Who is it time to take the gloves off? Then let them know. Join me in prayer. Father, You've given us a great example today. Friends who love somebody so much that they knew the only place that would make sense would be at your feet to get their friend. They were determined nothing was going to stop them. Their great priority matched your great priority, which was to have their sins forgiven. And you put your power and your glory on display. I wonder how many more in that place ultimately gave their life to you that day, Lord. Because they saw the outrageous. Just as we sit here for a moment, would you pray for the one who's on your rope? Would you pray for their lives? Would you pray for your relationship with them? Would you ask the Lord to move and give you a plan and show you how to bring that person right before him? Would you ask him to help you be determined and aggressive? And oh, Lord, you know the names that are in our hearts right now. You know the names that are in our minds. You know the ones that matter so much. We thank you for giving us these relationships. Where we need to confess that we haven't been as faithful with them as we should, then, Lord, we do that. I 
And then we ask that your power would be absolutely on display as you change their lives, that your glory would be known throughout the earth as you change their lives, Lord. And give us the courage to talk about your power and glory as it was represented in our lives. Lord, we love you and we praise you and we thank you for today. In your name we pray. Amen.